Welcome to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. This podcast is a collection of sermons and conversations intended to stir up your affections for Jesus. We hope this content helps you know and tell the story of Jesus better. Uh, My name is Mike. If you guys don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here at Mercy Hill. And again, it's a blessing to be here with you this morning. I did want to share uh, quickly um, how excited we are to partner with uh, the Sin Relief and the Clarkson Refugee Center, uh, as you guys saw in the video. Um, It's something we've been praying about and talking about for uh, months now, and we are excited to get that off the ground on our Serve Saturday coming up next Saturday. So there are still spots available to serve on that team. I think there's like 10 spots left available. We do have a team going out there. I think Austin and Lauren Thomas are leading that team. So if you're interested in in possibly serving out there, it is a great first step to international missions because you get to do international missions right here in Atlanta, 45 minutes away. So you guys are still, if you're interested in that, uh, talk to me, talk to Brandon, talk to Austin or Lauren after service. We would love uh, for you guys to hear a little bit more about that opportunity and how to serve. All right? All right. Well, changing the subject, uh, I think, hold on first, I got to do something. I got to offer some condolences, uh, Atlanta Braves fans. I'm so sorry. It was a great season, guys. It was a great season. Uh, but you have my condolences, and you still have the Bulldogs. Maybe, hopefully, they keep they keep it close. They keep they keep you guys on the you know the edge of your seat every week. So, uh, all right. I think we could all say. I think maybe you, most of you would agree with me uh, that we live in a pretty narcissistic uh, culture. In society, especially in the West and especially here in America, right? The culture that screams, look at me. Look at what I have. Look at what I can do. People saying, I want to be seen. And this isn't new, right? This isn't new in in American culture, but it seems like it's being turbocharged here as of late in the last few decades as technology continues to advance, right? And we just constantly becoming a people who are self-centered, self-promoting narcissists. Uh, And I think this is propagated, right, by reality TV, the plethora of apps and and social media. Uh, I came across this fact this week, and it kind of shocked me, um, because I'm not a really big fan of this family. But did you know that Kardashians have been on TV for like 20 years? 20 years of the Kardashians. And maybe one of you can explain that to me later. I I don't quite understand it. Um, But really, their business is selling themselves. Their business is, look at me, look at us, look at what we have. And people consume it for 20 years, apparently. But maybe maybe you don't relate to the Kardashians. Maybe you don't even know who the Kardashians are. I wish maybe I didn't know who the Kardashians were. Um, But maybe you can relate to this. Uh, The NFL ratings are off the chart this year. Uh, these like middle of the year, early, early season games are like as high, highly rated as the Super Bowl last year. So people are coming out of the woodworks, celebrities are coming out of the woodworks, getting attention being at games. So much so that there's this, uh, this little known singer that I don't know if you guys know about. I think she had a couple hits like 15 years ago, like singing about Romeo and Juliet. And, uh, but now she's dating one of the best football players in the NFL, right? Trying to make herself relevant again, I think. And... Uh, <laughs> Her name's Taylor something, I don't know, some of you guys might know her, so it's like kind of putting herself on the map, like saying, look at me, look at who I'm dating. Um, I'm going to get beat up by some teen girls when I leave here, that's all right. Uh, That's a joke if you guys don't know. Um, But it's not just celebrities who say, look at me, we do it too, right? On our social media, on our Instagram, we say, you know, look at me, look at what I have, look at what I've done. 
on our Twitter or X or whatever you guys call it now. We're saying, look at what I'm thinking. Or on TikTok or Pinterest, we're saying, well, look at how creative I am. Look at me. But really, we've created a world where we are the product. And the bad thing about being a product is that when a product is outdated, it's, it's not relevant anymore. So there's this desire and this drive for us to stay relevant, to perform so that people will still notice us. Now, I think we can agree this type of living is problematic on its own. Uh, we could go down a long rabbit trail talking about that. But I think there's also a real danger that this kind of thinking, this kind of living affects our spiritual lives too. Where we could take the practices that God has given us, practices that are meant to draw us closer to him, and then make them about us and garner our own attention and fame. See, the implicit message of the world is, look at me. But the message of the gospel is, look at Jesus. Again, this isn't a modern problem. It's a problem that's been going on for thousands of years. It just looks different now because of technology. And we're going to see that in our scripture today, uh, Jesus addressing this very problem. So we're continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount uh, from the book, The Gospel of Matthew. So if you haven't been here with us, we're picking up in chapter 6 today. Matthew chapter 6. It's a reminder for you guys, if you ever miss a Sunday, we know you can't make it every Sunday, and that's okay. Uh, but to stay caught up in the, in the series and the messages that we're doing, there's, you can watch them on our website. You can watch them on Facebook. You can even listen to the audio on Spotify, so you can always stay caught up where we are in the Scripture. So today in our text, we're going to see Jesus addressing three specific and important religious practices. They're important in the first century when he's teaching, and they're also important today. And that is giving, praying, and fasting. He's going to talk about how there's also a danger there to make those very practices about us. So as we go through Matthew chapter 6 today, you're going to notice that we're going to skip some verses. We're going to actually skip the Lord's Prayer. And that might seem weird to you because that seems like a really important part of the scripture. Don't worry. We're coming back to it. That gets a whole Sunday to itself next week with Brandon. So join us next Sunday for the Lord's Prayer. All right, let's jump into our text. Let me pray for us as uh, we begin. Father, would you open our eyes, our ears, and our heart to your word this morning, God, and convict us uh, and change us as we study it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give, but when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus begins by giving us a warning to be careful. Be careful not to practice our righteousness in front of others. Now, this command may seem a little bit odd if you've been following along through this series, because a few weeks ago in chapter 5, we saw Jesus teaching us that we are to be the salt and the light of the world. How can we practice righteousness 
How can we be salt and light to the world, yet not be seen? Well, the short answer is we can't, but that's not what Jesus is getting at here. See, the warning is not about doing good religious things in front of others. The warning is doing them specifically to be seen, to draw the attention to you as you're doing them. So as Jesus teaches through these three religious practices, giving, prayer, and fasting, the question is not how you should do them or where you should do them or when you should do them. The question becomes why you should do them. And if they're, be, if they're being done to be seen by others, well, that becomes an earthly pursuit and it will come with an earthly reward. Maybe that's a good reward, but it's an earthly reward, not an eternal reward. So as Jesus begins teaching each of these practices, he kind of structures uh, the argument or the message in the same way. So each time we're going to see the same message. He's going to say, when you do this, don't be like this. Instead, do this. So when you pray, when you give, don't do this. Don't be a hypocrite. Instead, do this. So two things here that I don't want us to miss. This first is that Jesus says each time, each, each spiritual practice that we're going to look at, Jesus says, when you do this thing, when, not if. Remember, Jesus is teaching his disciples, his followers. If we are disciples, his followers, then we are also receiving this teaching. So the implication here is that disciples of Jesus will do these things. Disciples of Jesus will give, will pray, and will fast. Now, this is not an all-inclusive list of normal Christian practices. There's other ones as well. But to divorce faith in Jesus from these three, then we have something that's not quite biblical Christianity. And the second thing I want to highlight here is, is what he's saying not to be, not to be like the hypocrites. Now, he would often use this word to describe the religious elite in the Jewish culture, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now, this word hypocrite in the original language actually referred to an actor or a performer. It was a stage language for in the Greeks and the Roman time. So oftentimes when we see this word used throughout the scriptures to describe someone who is pretending. Now, someone who is pretending on stage or in a movie or in a TV show or putting on a performance, there's nothing wrong with that. But hypocrites, as Jesus is describing, are those pretending to have attained a higher level of piety or standing with God for their own glory. And Sinclair Ferguson says it this way. He says, in ancient drama, actors did not wear makeup. They wore masks, representing the part that they played. What a vivid picture that gives us of the hypocrite. He pretends to be one thing, but all the time he is really something altogether different. Wearing the mask of a Christian may seem like a good idea. You get to be a part of a community. You, get to be, you can be a part of a church. Maybe you do it to participate with your family or your friends or your loved ones. But in the end, if you're wearing a mask, you may find yourself even further from God than when you put that mask on. I share this warning from experience. Now, we can all be hypocrites from time to time, right? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can agree to that. But for me, I spent well over a year, probably close to like 18 months, wearing a mask. 
So in 2014, after our second visit to Hillcrest Baptist Church in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, just outside Fort Campbell, Jess and I decided to walk down the aisle at the end during the invitation to join the church. I had no idea what that meant. Coming from a non-church background, it's like, we're just going to go say, hey, we want to join the church, and we're going to join the church. I didn't know you needed to be a Christian to join the church. Who'd have thought? Uh, it just felt like a place that I needed to be a part of, right? I wanted to learn more about this Jesus guy and God. My wife clearly wanted to be there, and I thought it would be good for my kids. So like, yeah, let's go down this aisle and talk to somebody about joining the church. So we make the walk down the aisle, uh, and before I meet this nice lady named Teresa, still friends with today, and she takes us off to the side to this little room, and it kind of gets blurry for me there, but like next thing I know, like my wife's crying and praying to receive salvation, and I'm just kind of like put my mask on, and like, I don't know, I'm not sure what's going on here. I just wanted to join the church. Um, but my wife got saved that day, praise God, and uh, I did not. But we joined the church, and uh, I, I slid by, and we got plugged into community. We got, began serving. It became a huge part of our lives. And before long, me, the non-Christian, is teaching Sunday school. Like, how'd that happen? I had a really good mask. But eventually, my sin, my hypocrisy, it would reveal itself because it always does. Sin always comes out. And I find, found myself very far from God in need of a Savior. Thank God he was still there to offer that to me. And my friends and my family, my wife and my church, you know, offered me grace as well. I went off down a little bit of a rabbit trail there, but I, I share that story because I really believe that there's probably some people in this very room who are like me at that time in my life. You know, I don't know why you're here, but maybe you're wearing a mask because you're here with your friend or your spouse or your family, um, but you don't know Jesus yet. But I promise you this, that the reward of having genuine faith was far greater than anything I could ever attain when I was wearing a mask. So, all right, let's jump back to the text. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded. Truly, I tell you, they have the reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So the act of Christian giving is never conditional. The act of Christian giving is never conditional. We give to show mercy and grace to others because God has richly lavished us with mercy and grace. So we give not expecting anything in return, not from others, not from the church, and not even from God. There is no promised prosperity in the scriptures for you giving to the poor or giving to the church. There's a lie in the church in the West and in America that there is, but there's not. Maybe God will bless you in a way by your giving, but that is not a promise. There are promises of suffering in the scripture, but we are to give not expecting in return, not praise, not rewards. And you give this idea about giving with one hand, not letting the other hand know what it's doing, what you're doing. That kind of sounds a little confusing. How could you do something with one hand and your other hand not know what you're doing? But I think the idea that Jesus is trying to get across here is we're not only trying to avoid the applause of others and the attention from others, we're also trying to avoid the applause from ourselves. 
Because it's very easy to say, man, I gave this much to the church this year. They owe me. I did this for the church. I did that for the church. And then we start building up our own egos because of what we did. So there's a danger in others building our ego up. But there's also that danger in us doing it ourselves and creating little idols of our religious acts. So we have to guard our own selves from self-righteousness, from patting ourselves on the back every time we do something good, to not go down that slippery slope of turning ourselves and the things we do into idols. Now, there is a lot to teach about giving uh, through the scriptures. And we're not going to touch on all that today. We're not. So, I mean, there's arguments all the time. What should you give? How much should you give? Should it be what you're able to give? Should it be a tenth of what you have? Should it be more than that? In Luke 21 and in Mark 12, after giving a warning against hypocrites, the Sadducees and Pharisees and the scribes, Jesus looked up in the temple and he watched a woman make an offering. And he said this, he looked up and saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow dropping in two coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them for they gave out of their surplus, but she gave out of her poverty. Acts of religious obedience to the scriptures, to God, are never the problem. If you give 1%, 10%, more or less, it's never the problem what you're giving. The problem lies in the motives, in our hearts. Wanting praise, wanting something in return, doing it out of obligation. We love you, praise you for your giving here at Mercy Hill, but we're never going to celebrate one individual person uh, for their gifts. It's, everybody gives what they can, and as long as your heart is right behind it, thank you so much. We would say, if your heart is not right, then don't give until you get your heart right. Because the problem lies, it lies in our motives and not the act itself. Next, Jesus addresses prayer. Verse 5, he says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into pri- to your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will, will reward you. So as Jesus addressed prayer, he again reminds us that it's a when, not if. Prayer is not an optional act of faith. He tells us that we are to pray when we pray. Don, uh, Don Whitney kind of wrote the book on spiritual formation for, uh, for Baptists, and he says this about prayer. He says, God not only has spoken clearly and powerfully to us through Christ and the scriptures, he also has a very large ear continuously open to us. He will hear every prayer of his children, even when our prayers are weaker than a snowflake. That's why of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is second only to the intake of God's word and importance. Christians, disciples, we cannot divorce ourselves from the act of praying to God and still walk in Christian orthodoxy. It's impossible. And again, we see here Jesus' warning of being a hypocrite. 
And Danny Aiken says this about hypocrites, uh, hypocrites in praying specifically. And he gives us two questions to ponder. He says, hypocrites are not sincere when they pray. They pray for show. And the two questions that help us evaluate if that is us. First, do you pray longer in public than you do in private? And second, do you pray differently in public than you do in private? Now, I don't want you to take this as an excuse to not pray in public, to not pray at church, to not pray in your missional community, to not pray with your family. The scriptures and Jesus do not condemn public prayer, and they definitely don't condemn corporate prayer. Corporate prayer is an important part of the church, and we're going to practice that here soon at the end of the service. But Jesus here, like with giving, is looking at our motives. He's looking at our heart. So if Monday through Saturday, the only time you pray is when you eat and you say, thank you for this meal. But on Sunday, or when you show up at your missional community, or wherever it might be, you have your hands raised, you're on your knees, and you're belting out this prayer, the most intricate prayer. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, they're so good at praying. I love it when so-and-so prays. Well, there's, there's a disconnect there. You're demonstrating something to the body of Christ. You're demonstrating something to others that is not true about you. You're pretending. So Jesus is not telling us to pray in secret because it's a secret. He's trying to help us helping us cut out the distractions, cut out the focus on us, and put the focus on the Father. How sad would it be to have the reward of being known as someone who prays beautifully at church or prays amazing every time you guys get together for MC, but in reality has no intimate relationship with God? Prayer is never meant for our glory. In fact, it is the exact opposite. That God may be glorified while we humble ourselves and seek him. Good or bad, we should never concern ourselves with what others think about our prayers. If the, if the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus saves, is the, the life ring thrown from the boat to save you in the sinking waters then prayer is that rope that's attached back to God pulling you in. Prayer is of the utmost importance. Corporate prayer, vast importance. But without individual prayer, you can't be saved. You have to call on the name of, the, the name of God and receive the gift. You can't be saved without prayer. Never, never sacrifice the benefits of true prayer, true prayer for the praise of of others. All right, we're going to jump ahead to verse 16. Let's look at the last spiritual practice, fasting. Verse 16, whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their face so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So come lastly to this spiritual practice of fasting. Uh, that is to give up food for a period of time and to shift your focus to God. 
Fasting is probably the spiritual practice we like the least. Uh, It's the spiritual practice I like the least and probably the one I struggle with the most. It is physically hard and spiritually hard. But again, Jesus is telling us when we fast, not if we fast. So the assumption is that we will be fasting, that it will be part of our spiritual life. I love this explanation uh, from David Platt gives on fasting. He asks the question, why do we fast as disciples of Jesus? And he says, because our souls feast on the glory of God. And fasting is an external expression of an internal reality. When we fast for a meal or a day or a week, we remind ourselves that more than our stomachs long for the pleasure of food, our souls long for the presence of God. We are satisfied in him and by him in a way that nothing in this world can compare to, not even the basic daily necessity of food. Fasting makes sense as a discipline in the Christian life only if it is connected with desire for Christ. When we fast, we say, more than we want our hunger to cease, we want your kingdom to come. So the spiritual practice of fasting can help us draw near to God. It can help us in our prayer life, in our confession, in our repentance. It can help us strengthen our self-control and our mastery over the flesh. But again, the danger with this is making it about us wanting to be seen by others, saying, look at me, I'm doing something hard. I think almost as much as the good things in our life, I think we like to share the hard things in our life uh, as well, right? Uh, when we're sick, we like posting about it, right? Something bad happened to our family, we like posting about it. Or like you ran a marathon, you're going to post about it. We like sharing the hard things, right? We want people to sympathize with us. But according to Jesus, the self-righteous, religious elite of his time, they love to make a show of their fasting. And I think uh, some of you ladies, and I know my wife will appreciate this, but I'm kind of getting like the man flu kind of vibes when I think about uh, these hypocrites and when they're fasting, you know, it's like husbands, you like sneeze or cough a few times. And next thing you know, you like, you haven't shaved. And you're like walking around the house like a zombie and you're like, and your wife's sick too, but she's still doing everything. So she still looks normal and put together. That's like the picture I get from these guys, right? They skip a few meals. They're a little bit hungry. They're not starving. They're walking around like they're making this huge sacrifice for the kingdom of God. And again, Jesus tells them they have their reward. If what you want is the acclaim of others, the praise of others, you'll have your reward. It's an earthly one, though. They've been seen. Jesus gives us the instruction to go about business as normal when we fast. To take a shower, to fix your hair, for the love of God, brush your teeth. Look normal. Go about business as normal. And when things get difficult, maybe you're fasting for longer than 24 hours, things get hard. When things get hard, when things get difficult, you don't post about it. You seek God. When the hunger and the pain and the desire for food begins to take over, you look to your father for strength, not to the people around you for praise. I think the big picture, the big idea for all three of these and so many other spiritual practices, and it's so easy, and it's one of the key messages of the gospel, 
is that more than our prayers, our giving, our fasting, or you can put anything else in there, God wants your heart. He wants your heart. Or maybe you've heard it say that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. There are a few things better, I think we can admit, uh, than being praised or recognized for doing something good, doing something well. And that's okay. We love for people to make much of our accomplishments. At work, we love to be recognized for doing a good job. Uh, Hopefully we're rewarded, rewarded for it. At home, man, it's so nice to hear if you cook dinner, Uh, man, some praises from your kids or your spouse on how great dinner was, or if you cleaned up the house, how great the house looks. And yes, even online, even on our social medias, it's, it's nice to hear somebody say, man, that's, I like your new haircut. I like that outfit. Oh man, your vacation looked great. There's nothing wrong with any of that, but there's also danger in all of it. There's also nothing wrong with somebody telling you, hey man, I really enjoyed that prayer that you gave or thanking you for a gift or noticing that you're fasting and asking you about it. There's nothing wrong with that. But the danger is is that we let it puff up our ego. We let it become about us and less about God. We don't need to hide our faith practices from from others. John Piper says it like this. He says, there's a difference between being seen and doing something to be seen. And Jesus tells us that the difference is our heart. The difference comes from the motives in our heart. So when, not if, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, when you read your Bible, when you serve the church, serve the community, when you show hospitality, when you share the gospel with somebody else, we need to check our hearts and ask ourselves why. Why? Is it about me? Am I doing these things out of some sense of obligation, yet also getting some like feel good out of it for myself? Or is it for God's glory? I want to leave you with this quote from uh, John Piper. I think he sums it up way better than I can. Uh, He's talking about fasting here, but I think it applies to every spiritual practice. He says, Jesus is calling for a radical orientation on God himself. He is pushing us to have a real, utterly authentic, personal relationship with God. If God is not real to you, it will be miserable to endure something difficult with God as the only one who knows. All that matters is God, who he is, what he thinks, and what he will do. Church, the, I mean, the question today is, well, are you wearing a mask? Are you a hypocrite? Now, we're all hypocrites from time to time. But are you marked by repentance and confession when you are? Or do you just keep the mask on, hiding, receiving the praise of others? I think Jesus' call to us is to take the mask off to stop pretending and to practice authentic faith, life-changing faith, saving faith. 
Acts that are meant to glorify God, not us. Acts that are for our good, praying, giving, fasting, reading your Bible, serving, praising God, growing, being sanctified. Thanks for listening to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. To keep up with the life of Mercy Hill Church, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We believe the Christian life is best experienced in community. If you're in our area, we'd love for you to join us. If not, we'd love to help you get plugged into a local church near you. Have a great week.